and then I had the problem of, well, hang on a minute, what are you, what are you saying? How do you tell people about a book who, that may want to buy it without spoiling the plot? Um, and I don't think I can do that, but I thought what I'd do is just introduce seven characters uh, from this book. Uh, the guy right on the, on the left is none other than Charles Kingsley, who like, I'll, I'll introduce in a moment. The guy in the middle is called Sharia Hussein. This guy is uh, Shafiqul Islam. Over there, uh, a Dutch woman called Enika Zaldenrust. This guy here, uh, Neil Kearney. This fellow, Javier Checkles, a Spanish guy, and uh, an unknown uh, widow. Uh, and the reason why she's unknown will become apparent as we uh, go through. So I want to start with um, our first character, Charles Kingsley. I don't know if anybody ever read uh, The Water Babies. Anybody hands up if you read The Water Babies? All my, all my compadres down here, all my <laughs> contemporaries. Um, the, the Water Babies is a Victorian book actually about child labour, but it's written as a fantasy. Um, and uh, Charles Kingsley was a kind of a, uh, well, obviously a writer, but he was also a bit of a social historian. And uh, he made it his business also to do a bit of research amongst the tailors of London. And uh, in 1850, I think he came up with, for me, what was the best definition of a sweatshop ever. Uh, uh, and he said this, he said, For at the honourable shops, the master deals directly with his workmen. And in those days, it was obviously, couldn't think of that there might be women around. Uh, while at the dishonourable ones, the greater part of the work, if not the whole, is let out to contractors or middlemen, so-called sweaters, uh, as their victims significantly call them, who in their turn let it out again, sometimes to the workmen, sometimes to fresh middlemen, so that out of the price paid for labour on each article, not only the workmen, but the sweater, and perhaps the sweater sweater, and a third and a fourth and a fifth have to draw their profit. And he called that uh, um, article um, cheap clothes and nasty. It's worth Googling and uh, reading uh, in full. Um, now, <clears throat> that was 1850, and I'm going to have to fast forward now uh, into Bangladesh 2005, uh, and specifically to this place, Sabah, which is a, an industrial district uh, to the northwest of the capital of Dhaka, where most of the uh, clothing industry is located. The other, other part is uh, Chittagong in the main. And um, <clears throat> As you probably know, Bangladesh is a source of uh, clothing and fashion supply to pretty much all the major uh, high street uh, retailers. And I'm introducing now the second character, a guy called uh, Sharia Hussein, who in 1997 um, built a, really a T-shirt factory. Uh, and he had to build it in Savoy because the uh, property prices in Dhaka now far out exceed uh, property prices uh, in, in, uh, in the expensive turf, turf of London. And if you uh, know anything about uh, manufacturing uh, clothes, uh, you need capacity. If you want to really make some money, you have to do high volume lines. So it wasn't long before this guy... Uh, was extending his factory, which he did uh, in 2000. Um, 
and he built that uh, before he got planning permission. And that's kind of the way things are in uh, Bangladesh around building rights. Uh, and then he decided, uh, having, by the way, sunk uh, piling to take a, a much higher building, um, to put another four floors on top. Again, without planning permission. And he was largely subcontracting, back to our sweater thing that Charles Kingsley was talking about, um, for major retailers who were sourcing from Bangladesh, but through so-called middlemen. So he wasn't directly trading with some of the shops, say, back home uh, here in the UK. His uh, main customers, by the way, were, tended to be non-UK, mainly uh, Belgium, France uh, and Germany. And our third character is a guy uh, called Shafiqul Islam, who um, started work at the age of 17 as a knitting operator uh, in the newly built uh, factory. And this is obviously not a factory, but it's a similar one. And you'll see there rows of uh, kind of knitting machines you've got up on the third floor, but set out uh, in, in industrial fashion. Most of these folk, note male, are uh, on piecework, uh, turning out maybe six or seven uh, sweaters a day, depending, obviously, uh, on the size of them. Now, uh, then this happened. He was working at night shift, unfortunately with about 200 others, and the whole factory collapsed. Um, and he was on the top floor. Uh, rather fortunate, actually, because the only way they could get at the workers was by drilling a hole uh, in the top and starting to bore down and try and retrieve any survivors. 62 workers died. 84 were injured, uh, 20 very seriously. Now, uh, Shafakul was paralysed uh, as a result. Um, and actually, this is a much later photograph than the immediate uh, time after this um, event because he lay in pretty much uh, awful circumstances in a, uh, in a hospital um, uh, in, in Dhaka. Now, the kind of what the book's about really is about the woeful level of uh, compensation for workers in a place like Bangladesh. For fatality, uh, a worker's family would receive 21,000 taka, and that would be uh, rounded up to 100,000 uh, from the Employers Association. Uh, but that was about, uh, well, 1,000 taka is £8.36 in 2005 uh, figures, and that might not mean anything, but you can rest assured the family is uh, destined for a life of penury uh, as a result of that. And if you were injured, it's kind of worse again because you would only receive 60% um, of your monthly earnings uh, depending on the severity uh, of the injury. The law for this, by the way, dated back to 1923 under the British Empire. So it kind of hadn't been changed uh, since. So people were up in arms. People in Bangladesh were up in arms, began to campaign... Um, and very soon uh, word uh, hit the wires, uh, as it often does, and two or two other characters kind of sprang into the breach. Uh, a woman called Enika Zeldenrust, who was the coordinator of the Clean Clothes Campaign, an organisation you might have heard of, headquartered in um, Amsterdam, and a guy called Neil Kearney, who was my boss between 2000 and 2008. He worked for a global trade union, 
called the International Textile, Garment and Leather Workers Federation. A bit of a mouthful. Um, and uh, both of these people, absolute tireless campaigners on behalf of uh, uh, workers in the industry. In fact, anybody knows a bit about, anybody speak Dutch here? Zelden Rust means seldom rest. So she's a pro got an appropriate uh, surname. Uh, Neil uh, was an uh, Irish uh, um, angry man, I think is the only way to describe it. Ang angry because of what he'd seen in the industry. And uh, he, he would think nothing of flying, which he did one week, uh, twice to uh, Costa Rica to uh, resolve a dispute. Um, between a company and uh, some of the workers there. Um, now, uh, let me just jump back. When something like this happens, um, you uh, you kind of have to find out, well, who's responsible? And we live in an age of what's called corporate social responsibility. Um, and the only way, actually, that they could determine which companies had been sourcing from these factory, this factory, because it was all subcontracting, none of the companies actually knew that they'd been in there, uh, was through the labels found at the site. And so local people uh, duly sent these in, they were uh, photocopied and wired through, and it was discovered that uh, Inditex, the company that uh, owns the Zara brand, uh, the Belgian Cotton Group, French company Carrefour uh, and let me think uh, Dutch company Scapino um, and a German company called Karstadtfeller had been sourcing uh, from uh, the factory and so uh, obviously the clean clothes campaign in the global union need to begin to kind of beat the drums and uh, start bringing this to the attention of uh, uh, and those multinationals that were involved and I, and I, and I remember because I was in the room at the time when Neil Kearney and it was like 7.30 in the morning switched his mobile phone on and woke this guy up and this is Javier Cercales who's the director of corporate social responsibility at Inditex and he said did you know that you are working for a merchant of death not the best wake up call uh, and uh, he, he, I kind of uh, shook him and he um, then just a uh, uh, he kind of uh, arranged to meet Neil Kearney in Brussels uh, to discuss how they might uh, deal with this situation. And uh, he had been bitterly affected by the big disaster that had occurred in India at the Chemical Works Bhopal. Anybody? Does that mean anything to anybody? Bhopal? If not, Google it. And you kind of get an idea of uh, why he was upset about that. And the fact that uh, uh, not even today the, the full compensation has been uh, paid to the families. So they got together and um, decided uh, kind of there and then at this meeting in Brussels, um, let's devise a fund. Let's try and uh, really push the frontier of what these folk are getting in Bangladesh make the brands responsible that were sourcing from the uh, factory uh, so, that they, uh, so that these workers are going to receive a monthly pension for the rest, or rather the families of the victims are going to receive a monthly pension for the rest of their uh, lives. And that there'd be a proper incapacity benefit for uh, those injured workers. Um, 
Now, let me, let me just go back uh, a bit. That's, this is not an easy thing to kind of undertake. Um, the, uh, what you're trying to do, basically, is say to a country, we don't think what you provide for workers is good enough, and we are prepared to kind of uh, do something um, uh, about this over and above what exists. And it's like saying to key people or key organisations in the country, like employers' organisations, like the government, you're not very adequate. And so they weren't, they weren't too pleased about these efforts. In fact, on the numerous occasions that both these guys travelled together into Bangladesh, they were followed by the secret police. Uh, in part because uh, the political situation in Bangladesh at the time was incredibly turbulent, uh, state of emergency declared. You even had uh, rumours um, circulating that there was an international conspiracy against the Bangladesh uh, clothing industry, uh, and this was kind of in a daft way seen as, as uh, part of that conspiracy. Um, now, <clears throat> when this photograph was taken, and it was taken by a BBC journalist, they were both in Dhaka, and this is how you kind of end up living when you're writing this. You end up living this because I was kind of writing the book still when this happened. Uh, that very night, Neil Kearney died of a heart attack in his hotel room uh, in, in, in Dhaka. And um, <clears throat> I need to just kind of read a little bit from the book now uh, about... Um, Javier Chekles's uh, response because, you know, very often um, we kind of think that it's us and them. In other words, you know, workers against management. Or and here's a guy from a global union and the director of corporate social responsibility of a multinational, um, supposed to be in a way diametrically opposed in terms of their view of the world and their view of business and worker rights. And um, but this guy was, is a bit special. And in fact, the relationship the pair of them developed was a bit special. But let me just uh, read what he, what he had to say. Um, because he, he, uh, he had to spend a whole week uh, in Bangladesh just to repatriate, make sure that uh, Neil's body got back um, to his uh, widow back in uh, Brussels. Uh, I had to remain in Bangladesh to take care of the repatriation of Neil's body as I had promised to his wife. And I had to wait 18 hours in the morgue uh, waiting for the autopsy. In, these, in those long hours, I saw too many dead women on stretches and realised that there was maybe something behind this. Uh, the day after, I had to get the mortuary passport for Neil and the final papers had to be approved by the embassy. And a consular official invited me to wait while he checked that the papers were correct. And in the meantime, I was waiting in the lobby and I noticed a book with the title Violence Against Women in Bangladesh. And then I realised that it was a very dark situation for women in the country. Um, and uh, what do we mean by that? Well, the, by, by this time, because of the turbulence uh, in the country, they could not organise monthly pension payments to the families. They had to, uh, in kind of six monthly instalments, organise meetings, hand out cheques, and the families would then cash the, cash the cheques often requiring a bribe to do that. It's just kind of the way things work. Um, and so 
basically, hi Steve, basically everybody in the um, uh, in country, all the workers, all the local unions, uh, voted to uh, basically wind up the pension scheme and have single checks paid out uh, to the families to the amount that they still would have been owed had there been monthly pension payments uh, made. Um, but once uh, um, uh, Javier Chercales had kind of seen, um, read this book, uh, he uh, suddenly got a bit worried. Um, and I'll quote again. Um, to pay a cheque to any widow, and there were 25 widows, and 25 uh, married um, knitting operators in, in that factory, uh, in this kind of situation would be uh, the end of the project and the end of the life of the widow. I realised I had to dramatically change the approach and the calculation because his background was a, he was an actuary and knew all about pensions. I decided to spend my whole Christmas time at home because I didn't feel so happy after the death of my friend I began to read everything about Bangladesh. The first book I read uh, was published by the World Health Organization and this showed Bangladesh is the worst country in the world for violence uh, against uh, women. Which brings me on to uh, our anonymous um, seventh character who's one of the widows and uh, the problem uh, in, in Bangladesh uh, is that it's neatly summed up in what's called the three P's Purda, Para and Patrilineal uh, Kinship um, Purda means uh, women are neither to be seen nor heard really Purda actually means a curtain and it's the curtain that kind of hangs there to, uh, in, in, front, in front of the woman in the family. Para means local neighbourhood, uh, and there is a, a considerable peer pressure within the local neighbourhood uh, applied on, uh, uh, certainly on, on, on widows. And patrilineal kinship means the whole uh, issue of inheritance, and uh, inheritance in Bangladesh largely means that um, uh, the... Uh, Inheritance would go to only one eighth of the inheritance would go to um, a widow um, if she had no children, and one quarter if she had children, and the rest would go to the head of the household. So you apply that to this situation, then there was kind of pressure on uh, a, a widow who would receive a cheque for a substantial amount of money in her own right because the pension scheme was based on. European gender equity law, women have equal rights, um, but to do that went against kind of Islamic inheritance law in Bangladesh. And Javier Chekles was very worried that uh, uh, to hand over substantial checks uh, would, would put these women at risk uh, within the family. Um, and there's, there's the whole section in the book about the kind of risk and, and so on. I won't dwell too much. So Javier Chekles was no more in terms of uh, the person who was going to kind of see this to the, to the end, which kind of left me in a bit of a difficult position because um, I had to, a book to finish, but also I was suddenly the only person who kind of had the information uh, really about the, how the whole pension scheme had been organised and the new Director of Corporate Social Responsibility uh, kind of obviously had a commitment to uh, see this thing through, but we wanted to make sure that the, uh, the family's got the, the right uh, amounts of money. Um, so <clears throat> I'm kind of going to 
sort of stop there in terms of the story. I just want to maybe tell you where we are with um, some of these uh, folk. Uh, well, Charles Kingsley, he's long gone, long gone, but have a read. Maybe you want to have a read of Water Babies too. Um, uh, Sharia Hussein rebuilt the factory on the same site. Uh, put um, a mosque there, uh, wanted to have a kind of a monument for the workers and offered uh, obviously jobs to all the members of the family. Um, but uh, he wasn't insured. So he suddenly found himself with massive debts in building a new factory on top of the site of the old one uh, and uh, came into increasing financial difficulty and in the middle of 2010 uh, sold the factory to Haynes Brands. Uh, and kind of, that was it. And he's now um, not in the industry anymore. Um, Shafikul, slightly different uh, face to the one you saw before. He is uh, now the receptionist in the Inditex office, learning uh, Spanish and English. Uh, and uh, uh, everything's kind of wheelchair accessible. He, can, he even changed the uh, ramp at the bank so he can go and get his pension out every, uh, every month. Uh, Enika Zellenrust is still uh, coordinator of the uh, Clean Clothes campaign, carrying out uh, urgent repeat, uh, appeals. Uh, I put Neil Kearney RIP at the bottom. He's the kind of guy who wasn't going to rest in peace. He's turning in his grave right now, as we'll see in a minute why. Um, and uh, Javier Chekles, as I've said, he's now no longer at the helm in, in Inditex, but has uh, published his PhD and is um, trying to uh, um, develop an academic career, I believe, in Spain. And the sad thing to report is the uh, widows collected their substantial checks uh, at a closing ceremony in 2011, um, and there was a, a, a kind of a backup scheme offered uh, the, the, to support them uh, uh, with, with, you know, as to how they, they could invest that, um, but we haven't been able to follow up the fate of these women um, you know, since, since that um, closing ceremony. So, postscript. How are we doing for time? Right, good. Um, I'd like to think that that was the last of disasters in Bangladesh. Unfortunately not. February 2010, company manufacturing for H&M. Uh, that was the site after this fire gutted the uh, top floor. Note, by the way, the lock here. Uh, the workers were locked in, often because they have a quota uh, of production to, uh, to reach and aren't let out before they, uh, before they do that. Then in December, uh, uh, during the lunch break at one of the largest uh, fashion groups in uh, Bangladesh, uh, the Hamim Group, uh, 30 workers died. Fortunately, most of the workers, as you'll see, were on a lunch break and actually came out of the building, but others got trapped. Uh, generally it's electrical faults, just hurried construction of buildings, no thought for, for uh, safety um, <coughs> as they went for all out expansion and profit. And then most recently we now have what arguably has been the worst disaster in the clothing industry uh, uh, since it began really. A lot of people talk about the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire in New York in 1910 but I think there were maybe 170 deaths then, um, nearly 300 in Karachi uh, not, a, not a month ago. And suddenly, 
this scheme, this compensation uh, um, effort suddenly has relevance again. Because you look at Pakistan and the conditions are very similar to Bangladesh. And, uh, and then finally, I uh, just thought I'd um, finish on a slide which shows you the, uh, the headquarters of the BGMEA, which is the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association. Uh, big condominium, built, on, built, you can't really see it clearly, but on the site of a lake, uh, right in the centre of uh, Bangladesh. And in April, um, uh, just last year, the, the High Court actually ordered its demolition because even the Employers Association never bothered getting full permission to build on this place before they erected this uh, build. Now, needless to say, that's going to drag on in the courts because we're talking about a very, very powerful uh, interest group. Um, then, in uh, like running, running parallel, by the way, with all this compensation uh, uh, effort was the obvious thing you do, which is prevention rather than cure. So there'd been a big, big push to address uh, fire safety, um, particularly in the clothing sector in, in Bangladesh, uh, resulting in a, a memorandum of understanding on fire prevention with those key US brands that were involved in the Hameen fire. Uh, and uh, that, So that was a, a bit of a breakthrough uh, in March this year. And then just um, recently, appeared in the business press. Uh, Inditex, one of the other commitments that uh, Javier had uh, uh, 10 days ago, a week ago, uh, they opened this testing lab, and I believe it will cost $30 to test the garment, 20 of which covers the cost of the actual test, and 10 will go into uh, a fund that will be administered um, by the, the BGMEA. So there's kind of some movement. The only problem is that really something like that, if it's a worker fund, it should be jointly administered uh, with union involvement, I would argue, and that hasn't quite materialised yet. So, um, kind of, that's it. Um, well, not quite it, but just an attempt to try and um, give you an introduction to some of the characters in the book, and, and just kind of, the struggle I had is writing this, and uh, Mick will tell you, uh, he's at the end there, uh, was around the, wholly around the ethics of all of this because um, one of the things, and I was kind of nearing the end of my academic career because I'm retired now, so-called, uh, and the thing that used to like cheese me off more than anything was uh, company X said this and worker Y said that, and there was this sort of like very abstract, uh, detached kind of description of what was going on out there. And what I was writing about, uh, which you kind of have to do academically, but at the same time, it's about real people. And in, in many respects, stuff that's in the public domain. Um, and so I had to kind of cover my tracks, if you like, I cover my back from an ethical point of view, make sure all the interviews uh, with the widows that we conducted were, you know, uh, we had their permission. Um, Photographs, for example, you've got to get permission. And so um, you, you, you kind of you come up against some of the, uh, what's the word, the obstacles, if you like, to um, making this real, what we're engaged in here in universities, which sometimes doesn't happen. And so I hope introducing the characters of this book may well have done that.